But let me really express my gratitude uh, to the Lord uh, for the opportunity that I have to be with, with you. It's uh, with a, a great sense of privilege that uh, I stand here. And uh, over a number of years of my, my coming to the Shepherds Conference, a number of you have become real genuine friends. And the, the Atlantic Ocean that stands between us in Africa and you over here has really narrowed down because of the fellowship that we've come to know over the years. And I know I am speaking on behalf of a number of uh, African brethren who have made it across the ocean to be with you here, that we all feel that we are among friends, beloved brothers in Christ. I want to assure you of that. So thank you very much on their behalf. As the penultimate speaker, I, I thought that what I could do is expound a passage in, in the book of Revelation. And so I want to draw your attention to chapter 3 and uh, the first six verses. I'm looking at the, the letter of our Lord Jesus Christ to the church in Sardis. It is a letter that was written in the context where the Christian church was undergoing intense persecution. As a number of you will be aware, the, the whole of um, um, Revelation was written within the context of uh, uh, the, the Apostle John being in um, hiding from this same persecution on the island of Patmos. And as he was there, no doubt wondering about the welfare and the well-being of the Christian church, uh, God came to him and revealed to him what must soon take place. And it's one of those uh, writings in uh, the whole Bible, actually, that's not the easiest to put your hands around. But if you are an individual who is familiar with the Old Testament, you soon see that it is replete with Old Testament imagery. And as you bring that into uh, the writings that are here, it does not appear as complicated and difficult as it otherwise would if you were not aware of that. Because the church was undergoing persecution, a lot of what you have in the entire uh, book of Revelation is to do with encouraging believers, encouraging those that might be feeling disillusioned and and discouraged and perhaps even despondent and helping them to realize that you actually are on the winning side. It may look like you are losing, but that is merely a temporal situation. Otherwise, God is on the throne. He knows exactly what he is doing. And it is a matter of time. This is where history is going. So that's largely the message that you find here. However, as you peep into 
the seven letters that we have in chapter 2 and chapter 3, it's not long before you realize that God is not a motivational speaker. He's not simply saying, don't worry, everything is going to be all right. He is a God of holiness. He is a God who is in the serious business of ensuring that he is worshipped. And that where that is going wrong, he wants to fix it, and he wants to fix it now. And that's what we find as we are looking at these letters, including the letter to the church in Sardis. As we will notice in a few minutes, there were some things that were going wrong. And God wanted them to be addressed urgently so that we might find a, a better and a healthier context for the Christian church. And so I have entitled my message, The Strengthening of the Remnant. The Strengthening of the Remnant. That that is something that needs to be done now. And as we look at chapter 3, you will notice verse 2 says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Now the phrase, what remains or remains, is loipos, and it has to do with simply the rest. In other words, so much has gone wrong, is decaying, rotting, but as you peep under all that rottenness, there is that which has been preserved. Make sure that it is maintained, it is strengthened, it is revived, and no doubt once that is done, you have a healthier church. Now, the text itself is not necessarily suggesting that that which remains are the remnant, but when you go further in the text, you soon notice that yes, it is individuals who are living the life that God wants that they are being asked to ensure that such individuals are encouraged. Quickly notice verse 5. Or maybe let me read verse 4. Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not spoiled, soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white. And that's essentially where I am capturing the, the idea of the remnant. Yes, there is that which remains, and there's no doubt there is some idea of remnant there, but even more so, it is these individuals, these names, these people who have not yielded to that which God is against. And we are being told here that these are the ones who are precious to the Lord and surely they need strengthening. The key thought that I want to carry with me as I go with you through this passage is that that's a very big responsibility 
that those of us who are elders and pastors in churches have to ensure that those in our congregation who are the true children of God, who have genuine godliness, who are seeking in their individual lives, in their family lives, in their business lives, in, in everything around them, to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they are living in a context of compromise and perhaps even apostasy around them, that we should be an oasis for them, that we must be a means of refreshment for them, that we would be individuals that really encourage them so that as they go back into this world that is full of ungodliness and wickedness and evil, they are still enabled to stand. That's what I want us to capture and make sure that by the end of this message, that's what we all take home, that we have the grave responsibility before God to strengthen the remnant. How will we do it? Well, first of all, let us notice from this text that Jesus knows our real spiritual situation. Jesus knows our real spiritual situation. Verse 1, the Bible says there, And to the angel, or the elder, or the messenger, or the pastor of the church in Sardis, write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. The message is clear there. First of all, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was communicating all these messages, would often speak about something concerning himself that would be relevant to the letter that he is about to write. In this particular case, he introduces himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God, and obviously that is a picture that is suggestive of the, the fullness of the Spirit. And at the same time, he is also the one who has the seven stars. And we've already been told in chapter 1 towards the end that the stars are in fact these same messengers that are there in the churches. So Jesus is introducing himself literally as the one upon whom the church depends for its health. The church desperately depends on the Holy Spirit. And the church depends on the word that comes through his servants who proclaim it. The two together, the Spirit of God and the word of God, combined, that's where you find the health of the church. We will see the relevance of that in a few minutes. But having done that, he always goes on to speak in terms of something he knows about the specific church that he is writing to. And for Sardis, it is the fact that although on the outside all looks well, he who has omniscience, 
the ability to see what nobody else can see on the outside recognizes that this church is dead. Dead. He knows the true condition of the church. Now, why is it that a church like this would have the reputation of being alive? Well, first of all, let's face it. Generally speaking, all our churches begin with evangelistic work. Somewhere at the beginnings of your church, as you're sitting here, there was no church in that place. Individuals were burdened. They went door-to-door, preaching in different places, And in due season, individuals came to repentance and faith in Christ. They were gathered together into what I referred to as colonies of faith under his lordship to worship God as he is revealed in his word. And no doubt, there you were, perhaps brought in as a pastor, brought in as an elder, so that you might be able to ensure that the mind of Christ, the will of Christ, who is the head of the church, is maintained there. So anybody who sees that concludes, yes, there must be spiritual life. But often what tends to happen is that we begin to survive on past glory. That which was once true when this church was birthed is what we still continue to live by. That God was saving. God was reviving. God was sanctifying his people. And there are these testimonies that we continue to hear. So surely God must be here. But forgetting that that's in past tense that what has begun to happen over time is that the church has become nothing more than a social club. A place where you know one another and you come to enjoy time together. It is no longer truly holy, regenerate, sanctified individuals who are now working together in order that God may be glorified. Now it's about ourselves. Are we enjoying ourselves? Are the numbers multiplying in this place? That's all that now becomes the chief concern. And in due season... The vitality of spirituality begins to dwindle. Though the numbers are continuing perhaps to increase. Holiness is compromised because you want to keep everybody happy. Church discipline is thrown out of the window. And in the process, even the subject of the pulpit changes. It's no longer the pre-existent Christ, the humiliated Christ, 
the exalted Christ and the work of redemption that is central to the pulpit. But rather, it is what is the world talking about? How can we somehow put a facade of spirituality and then drag it into the pulpit and make it our subject? It's nothing in the end but a social club. Yes, the numbers are there. The excitement is there. But Jesus, with his piercing look, sees nothing but death. We are reminded of the words that were spoken by God to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. And I think, brethren, we need to pause at this juncture because we are coming from churches. The question is that when that context you are coming from, that church, is placed side by side with the New Testament church as we find it in the book of Acts, and in the epistles of Paul and Peter and James and John. Are we seeing New Testament blood flowing through the veins of our church? Or in the light of this stethoscope, we are a dead corpse. Because remember, Jesus sees. He knows all things. He cannot be deceived by mere outward reputation. He can't. But further, let me apply it to us as individuals because many times I honestly am bothered by pastors who live in sin until they are exposed. How can you do that? Don't you recognize that Jesus sees everything? He knows exactly where your heart is. He knows exactly where your mind is. He knows exactly the way you are living in that darkness and at night or wherever it, it is that you disappear to. He knows all that. You can't live like that and then still continue climbing the steps of the pulpit in order to stand before God's people claiming to be feeding them. That's to be an individual who has a reputation of being alive. But God knows you are dead. Why wait until God in disgust draws the curtains open and skeletons fall out? Why? When you know he has been seeing 
everything that the other human beings have not been seeing. He's seen it all. The right thing to do is to go to him now and repent. Because the most important is your relationship with him. That's the most important. This is a God who sees all things. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Well, let's hurry on. Because we also see here that we must urgently strengthen the remnant. Urgently strengthen that which remains. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. The Bible says there, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. What a poignant statement from the lips of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's basically saying there are some things that need to be done and to be done now. If you're a patient and you, you go to the hospital because you are feeling unwell, the doctor and the nurse will take all your measurements and everything and let you sit waiting for your turn to be called in. If you are brought in on a stretcher straight from an accident, they bypass all that because it's urgent. And even while you are being whisked in, they're doing everything else in order to ensure you don't have a lost life here. It's urgent. You need attention. Well, what Jesus is saying here is that this issue of strengthening the remnant is not something you postponed for New Year's Day. It's something that needs to be done now. It's urgent lest you lose even those who are the sincere children of God, who are the means by which God's blessing is being held within the context of the church. And hence the phrase, wake up. Wake up. This is not the time to still be droning on half asleep as though that's the way church is meant to be. You ought to say to yourself, now we must change the situation that is on our hands. And how are you to do that? It is to strengthen what remains. As I said earlier on, this is not necessarily at this point referring to the remnant themselves, but I'd like to suggest to you that it is referring to what the remnant treasures within the context of the church. 
that which is the means of giving life to the people of God. Let me suggest a few of those items. One, which is pretty obvious, it is expositional preaching. Sound doctrine. Ensure that that takes central stage in the life of the church. Instead of having plays and skits and all kinds of fun activities, what is central to the life of the church is Christ-centered preaching. And I'm not even suggesting a running commentary here. Because Christ is in all the scriptures. He is the manna that is from heaven on which the people of God feed. Strengthen that aspect of the church's life. A number of you might be in a context of church revitalization. And perhaps having arrived there, you've discovered that the the amount of time they give to preaching is 10 minutes. Oh, the first thing you better do is fight for more time. (laughs) Because God's people need to feed from God's word. So strengthen that aspect. It's part of the actual deal we are dealing with here. But then there's also just the place of prayer. The place of prayer. You see, when a church has become nothing more than a social club, one thermometer that you could use to determine that is you go to the church's prayer meeting. And when you've got a thousand people coming for so-called worship, and then five in the prayer meeting, you know you've got a problem there. Make sure you strengthen the prayer meeting. Make sure that once again the church becomes a house of prayer where God's people recognize that they are nothing without him. That we, we desperately need God and consequently cry to him day and night that he might help us. And then may I quickly add onto this love For the brethren. Philadelphia. A church where what is being learned is being lived out in koinonia. In real life on life among the people of God. That that which is spiritual is glowing and not just something that is in a little corner somewhere. Again, ensuring that there is genuine Christ-centered fellowship. May I quickly also throw in the missions, the work of missions. That brethren, we are not here to simply have better buildings and better pews and, and better carpets and, and, and better music and, and better this and better that. 
We are here to receive the baton from one generation and pass it on to another. We are here to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We are here to play our role in that great commission that Jesus Christ gave when he said, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. And that our very church budget should show that this is the business that we are in. Again, wanting to see all that realized. May I also add the subject of holiness. God's people desire to see genuine holiness among the people of God. And therefore, when sin becomes obvious and church leaders are winking and looking the other way, God's people get grieved. They get discouraged. They get despondent. And if there's somewhere else they can go away from that stench, they want to leave. Our Lord Jesus here is saying, strengthen that which is still remaining, the things that means so much to the remnant. Those things that are also about to die. Move in quickly. Resuscitate them. Give them the proper place that they ought to have among the people of God. And so, yes, on one hand, the statement there is to do with the things but I want to suggest to you, it's the things that the remnant really treasure. Jesus goes on to say there, that for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember what you have received and heard. In other words, again, centered on the word of God. Heed the word. You've been taught and taught and taught God's word, don't throw it away and take on something else. Don't. Instead, remember that. Heed it. And he goes on to say, keep it. Be faithful stewards of that which God has revealed of himself. And then he finally says there, and repent. Turn from the way you've been going Turn and start going the right way. Brethren, I want to suggest to you that that's the way in which a church is revitalized, biblically speaking. It's not just numbers. It is ensuring that what we call the elements of worship are back in central place. God has revealed how he is to be worshipped. He rejoices in that being central. And we who are the elders, the pastors, the shepherds of God's people are to ensure that we put all those things there. If we don't deal with this matter urgently, well, Jesus says, judgment will come. 
Let me read that to you once again. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now remember, this is a letter to a church, but it is a letter addressed to the messenger, the angel, the elder, the pastor, the church leader. And basically what it is saying is if we don't urgently restore into the rightful place those means of grace that truly matter, if what we are doing is simply going around some activities so that we can continue being paid, so that we continue in our job, finally Jesus says enough is enough and he comes in and shuts the whole place down. Isn't that what we are witnessing around the world? Now I come from Africa. And I'll tell you, we, we just never see churches closed in Africa. Just never. Churches are always opening everywhere. You, you lift your foot, there's a church that's coming up there. <laughs> but I've traveled around the world enough to be in places where Majestic cathedrals are now theaters and museums and alcohol drinking places. And you say, what happened? May I suggest to you that at some stage, God said, enough is enough. That this social club is dragging my name in the mud. That's not why I instituted the church. And therefore, he's closed it down. And often, just before that, is the whole effort of bringing in the numbers purely through social activities. Bring in the numbers somehow until Jesus closes the whole place down. What's happening where you're coming from? Are you in God's business? Is that what is true about you? That you become a true shepherd of the remnant. That that which makes up the very heart of true worship is first of all pulsating in your own soul and you are making sure that it is now finding its place at the center of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, may that be true of you rather than you simply being there for the check until the Lord closes the place down. Well, let's really hurry on. Because in the next place, God knows the remnant by name. They are a people who are jealous for godliness. 
and he promises to reward them. Look at verse 4 and verse 5. So the one who conquers, sorry, verse 4, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Instead, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. What an encouragement. What an encouragement. And may I suggest that those of us who are pastors and leaders and church elders, we, 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 we ought to, to, to come alongside, as it were, the great head of the church to encourage those individuals in the midst of apostasy whom we know love the Lord, love his word, love to pray. They, they, they love the work of missions. They, they, they're giving their all to, to, to kingdom issues. This encouragement should be escaping our lips regularly rather than us adding to their sorrow. May we be the means of them knowing that although they are not known out there, they are known by God and they are known by God's servants. That God's given me a pastor, an elder, who in the midst of my discouragement, in the darkness, encroaching darkness, this shepherd encourages my soul. They may not be known on social media, but they are faithful to Christ. That's what matters. Faithful to Christ. The Bible here uses a, a picture of contrast. On one hand, you've got defiled clothes, and then on the other, you have clothes that are white. The idea there being lack of holiness in one end and holiness in the other. On one side, you've got worldliness. On the other side, you have true godliness. And all that is being brought out here is this vast contrast between the two. So you have a few names inside this, people who have not soiled their garment. In other words, they can come into God's presence. They can come into the presence of majesty. They can come into the presence of he who is the thrice holy being because of what Christ has done and also because of what the Spirit has done and continues to do in their lives. They have not soiled their clothes or their garments. I want to suggest, brethren, that that's a good description of the remnant. Because the remnant consists individuals who are a stark contrast 
to the culture around them. The world is at enmity with God. It's at enmity with God in terms of its philosophy, its worldview. It's a godless worldview. It's at enmity with God in terms of its affections, the things that the people love. And then there's also enmity with God in terms of evil and wicked activities. The remnant recognize that and seek to live a life that is of another world, the world to come. A philosophy that is biblically based. And so, doesn't matter what the world is saying, they know that what is true is here. And while the world, sometimes even the church world, is chasing after the things of the world, their hearts and their lives are still enamored by God himself. He's the one they love. He's the one they want to live for. And then finally, it shows in their lives holiness. Godliness, you can't miss it. They've not soiled their garments at all. Do you have such individuals in your church? Treasure them. That's the remnant. Thank God for them. You can be sure that Jesus Christ treasures them. You better do the same. That's what he said. Be the means of strengthening the remnant. Encourage them for being salt and light in the world. Encourage them. For, for, for spending and being spent for the crown rights of Jesus Christ. Encourage them. And encourage them also by pointing to the reward that is promised to them. And that's what we saw here in the language of walking with me in white. In the language of the name never being blotted out of the book of life in the language of confessing their name before the Father in heaven. And all that. These are but different pictures that are meant to encourage the children of God, the remnant, in the midst of the apostasy both in the world and in the church. That they may not get tired. That they may not have their hands or arms that are now stooping low. That they might feel, let me continue to put up a gallant fight for the crown rights of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure you are playing 
that role in the church. But brethren, let me hurry on to close. Jesus urges those of us who are elders and pastors to, to urgently strengthen what remains, the, the, that which is treasured by the remnant, those who have not soiled their garments as we've just seen here. And he wants us to do that urgently, to make it our number one business. In fact, as he closes all of these letters, he ends with, with making them very personal to all of us. He puts it this way. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're all coming from different church contexts. Some of us, it might be a very healthy church context. And some of us are probably almost at the point of handing in our resignation because we have done what we could and the darkness is continuing to grow. What this passage is really saying is this. Let's not forget God's remnant in that church that needs to be encouraged, that needs to, to be strengthened, that needs to once again have the dark clouds removed from over their heads that the clear ray of light from heaven that cheers the soul might be experienced by them. Let's go from this conference convinced that we've got an all-important role to strengthen the remnant. Remember, the church is not ours. It belongs to Jesus Christ. He has a grand agenda for it across history. All we are is but stars in his hands. That's all we are. Our job is to, to shine forth his truth to his people. Let's make sure that that's what we are doing. That God's people may truly feast upon Christ because we are there. That they might drink deeply from the wells of salvation because we are there. That they might experience what it means to, to, to pray to the Lord, to, to listen to his word, to, to give themselves, to, to love for one another and, 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 and to, to reach the world because we are there. Let them once again sense that this is not what it had deteriorated to be, a social club. This is now truly the church of Jesus Christ. And may they thank God that he has sent them such a shepherd as you. Because you are faithful to your responsibility. But let me quickly turn that as I close, and it is this. 
If you have abandoned that role, it's not too late. Today, you can wake up. Today, you can come to the realization, I have been going the wrong way. Today, while you are in here, you can bow down and say, Lord, thank you for bringing me here. I see my error. Thank you that on Calvary, your blood shed for sinners such as I. Lord, forgive me. Wash me clean by your blood. Fill me afresh with your spirit. Enable me, O Lord, to be a true shepherd. Shepherding the remnant. Strengthening that which remains in the context of my church. Plead with him that by the time you get back into your car or aeroplane to head back home, your people will receive a new shepherd and it will be seen in your ministry. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you are a merciful God that when you speak, it is not only that you might tear us, but that in those wounds you might pour the balm of Gilead. That you might restore us to yourself. Oh God of heaven, the variety of churches represented by the men here must be vast. Help each one of us to return home resolved to shepherd the sheep of Christ, especially the remnant in a day of apostasy. Oh, God. Help us to wake up, even today, before you come in judgment. May this be a day of grace. Grace, grace reign from heaven by your Spirit. Help us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.